Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hello, culminators. Today, as I said to you in my uh, Newark, New Jersey office, looking out the window at the picturesque site of the overbuilt west side of Manhattan, I am uh, city of my birth. I am uh, pleased to have with us today someone who still lives in New York and is doing his darndest, along with a number of other people, to make sure that it is possible for people to still live in New York. His name is Brian Robinson. He is a former Democrat who has come to the conclusion that there's nothing Democrats can do that's good for the for, for, for cities, certainly for New York City where he lives. Someone who has who has interacted with me on Twitter since before the 2022 election mm -hmm. uh, through a mutual friend of ours who, given his wily ways, probably would prefer not to be named, although anyone with a brain who could figure it out quite easily, uh, who cared. Uh, this is Brian Robinson, uh, and who's gonna, he's going to tell us a story about uh, trying to push for mainstream moderate common sense change in New York City. Good morning and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Ron. Um, it's actually incredible how difficult common sense is in this city. How uncommon, how uncommon. How uncommon it is. Um, yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Uh, it is an honor. Uh, yeah, it's my, my journey into politics was not expected. I never had any career aspirations to be in politics. It just it's one of those things when you feel like the city you love is going to hell. Uh, you either you move out, which trust me, I've thought about it, or you fight back. And right now I'm fighting back and it's it's a tough one. You know, I, I tried originally to uh, run as a Democrat as a disruptor because I, I saw how ridiculous they've become and how far left radical uh, it's come here. Like they're unrecognizable. I remember when Democrat um, didn't mean what it means now. So uh, certainly not. Yeah. So that was unsuccessful, although I tried because they are very much in their new elements and they do not want to change their their trajectory is very much locked and loaded and um the only way to really fight this fight is to join the saner party which is the republicans and that's so let's so let's take a step back tell us about your background what you were when you thought you would leave lead a normal life a non-political life uh okay so um you know I was a philosophy major I ended up in finance I graduated Tulane University um 
started up in New York about 16 years ago. Met so you're not wife. originally from New York? No, I'm not. I'm from New Jersey. Whereabouts? Homedale, Central. Sure, sure. Yeah. You live in Jersey, don't you, Ron? Yes, and I spent most of my life, even though I lived in Brooklyn until I was nine years old. People say, where, where did you grow up? How do you answer right. that question when you grew up in, in one place till you were nine? And another, so for most people in the country, as far as they're concerned, it may as well be the same place. They couldn't care less. You know, New York, New Jersey. Says, but if, if you're from New York, it's a hell of a big difference. <laughs> oh, yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. And I, I can't claim to be born and raised. But I, you know, if I think if you've been here 16 years, you can steadily say that you are a New Yorker. Sure. Uh, you know, the, especially the last 16 years. Yes. Especially the last 16 years to have stayed has taken quite the resilient uh, skill set. <laughs> and commitment. And commitment and commitments. But yeah, you know, uh, pretty ordinary. Um, I'm a writer, which is neither here nor there, but I've made, I've made my living in finance. I ran a small business for 12 years. Uh, I met my wife at a bar. You know, we got married. Uh, she's amazing. We now have two kids. I, act, I have a newborn. He was born a month ago. And awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's the pandemic hit and I, I just saw uh, a level of irrationality from the institutions that govern us that uh, frankly made me sick. I was horrified. I was angry and um, it was not healthy for me really to hold on to the anger that I had for, you know, closing the schools and not letting my daughter go to school for over a year and uh, wearing the masks far past uh, any justification for that. Uh, the toddler mask mandate, which was downright dystopian, they made her wear a mask while the rest of us didn't have to. Um, I mean, if you can imagine it, if you're not from New York City, only the two to four year olds had to wear masks for about four months while the rest of us didn't have to wear a mask. And it was so silly because the science didn't support it at all. And yet, and, and it was punctuated by by the Black Lives Matter, the massive demonstration for uh, after the after the George George Floyd murder, yeah, or killing, um, which masks were not necessarily a feature, and certainly social distancing was not. So there there, there was never a scientific there was really never a good faith scientific claim for it but that's not that's not our topic the point is it was insanity in new york no i mean what you're saying is right though because uh, in the middle of lockdown and wear a mask and you're a bad person if you don't you're having massive protests for a month where masks aren't really the priority and everybody can congregate and do what they want and it's it's kind of like, oh, you know, science bends for social justice, right? <laughs> it's like we'll make an exception uh, dependent on, you know, what the behavior of what everybody's doing. And it's just and like Bill de Blasio says this with a full heart. You know, I mean, he, he looks right into the camera and says this was just too significant of a moment. What? To not kill grandma? To, to not kill everyone in the city? To, right. What do you mean? It was it was. Yeah, it, the, the the inconsistencies were, uh, and they're sent, and they were sending cops, of course, in, into businesses in Brooklyn. I was involved, uh, you know, in 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 that uh, moment, uh, with, you know, when they felt that maybe 
a lawyer could help. And we figured out pretty soon a lawyer couldn't help because because the judges were insane also. Yeah. Uh, the judge, and the judges continue to be insane and they continue to contribute to the downfall of New York City with, um, you know, letting, letting criminals out on the streets who have been arrested four year so times. I know some of that or a lot of it has to do with state law and dangerousness, but uh, we've seen a lot of silly um, inconsistencies out of judges in New York. That, so what kind uh, of, how is it that such insanity is being elected and reelected in New York City. I mean, it's not we're not talking about San Francisco, which has a tradition of radicalism. Mm -hmm. There have always been some uh, precincts in New York that have been funkier than others. But traditionally, you know, it was a, an, a, a, an FDR kind of LBJ, old fashioned Democrat coalition sort of situation. And then that seems to have just unraveled. Yeah. Um, George Floyd, I think, had a lot to do with it because the more radical notions like defund the police um, be became more mainstream because people were too afraid to talk, reasonable people, and politicians were pushing some of these uh, insane criminal reforms that probably never would have been pushed through before George Floyd. But there was that window, that moment during COVID, right after George Floyd, where everything the socialists ever wanted to do, um, they did. And people shut up about it because they were becoming, they were, you know, called racists, white supremacists. If they had anything to say about, ah, maybe bail reform is not the best idea, or maybe we should be consistent about uh, our mask standard. <laughs> Either we're wearing them or we're not. We're not making exceptions for Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, the, the, the villainy of the mob was heavy at that time. And you couldn't say anything. You, and, and, you were, and as a Democrat, right? You, so you're, you're because you're, of course, you're a Democrat. You're in New York. You know, you're yeah. you're a liberal, open-minded guy. You're not in favor of all the things that supposedly Republicans are bad for being famous for or famous for being bad for. And you're around people who are cowed by the mob. In other words, it's one thing for there to be a mob. It's another thing for a, for a mob to find a receptive audience that will, you know, that will bend the knees, even to the extent where I remember. One thing I said was, this stuff that's going on isn't going to happen in New York because the NYPD isn't like that. And it wasn't as bad in New York as it was in many other places. But what we saw was that the NYPD is pretty much like that. Or their hands are tied. I, th I think in a lot of ways, the NYPD just can't do their job. Um, because, all right, you have a guy who's been arrested 20, 30 times and he's, it's number 31. Do they bother to arrest them again? Is their work fulfilling? Are they, are they sick of being called Nazis and white supremacists merely for standing on the corner and, uh, trying to keep the neighborhood safer? I mean, I think they just gave up in a way. I think they were demoralized. I don't, I don't think the NYPD is, uh, for any of these radical notions. I, I think they're just 
they're just kind of like, all right, you don't want us to do what we used to do to keep this city one of the safest in the country anymore. You want us to let it go to hell, then uh, fine, we'll stand around. We'll let that happen. Ryan, I went to a conference, uh, I guess it was 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I get in Atlanta. And I came back to the hotel in the evening, maybe at eight, nine o'clock, maybe it's after nine. And I said, you know, where's the closest convenience store? I'd like to pick up a couple of things. I asked the uh, you know, guy at the door at the hotel, and he said, uh, well, you know, X number of blocks. And I said, okay. He says, whoa, this is in New York City. You can't walk there at this hour. Right. And so I grew up in New York in the, in the late 60s and 70s when it was going through the precipitous decline of that era which is why we didn't stay in New York City. And it was hard for me to understand until I, that moment that New York had now been by the 90s or the early part of this century regarded as an incredibly safe place where you could practically go anywhere at any hour. Mm-hmm. And we all used to take the subways. It was, it was, it was, it was a golden era. It, it certainly was, and we've lost it. We, we've let it go. We've willingly taken an amazing um, era of safety and flushed it down the toilet. I mean, it, you know, I, I heard stories about the 70s and 80s in the city. I wasn't there, but um, all you have bad. to do is look at one of those pictures of people sitting on a subway. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, it just it was so menacing. It wasn't actually it was, you know, we 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 conservatives are very contemptuous of this. Uh, formula that equates words with or expression with violence but the subway cars in that era were were violence just uh, you, you mean the graffiti the I'm saying it was a violent assault on your sensibilities yeah and uh, you know like it was a, it was menacing sitting on the just being in that environment was menacing and and that's pretty much you know i mean now what we have is is literally menacing people and we're not and that seems to be completely understood as an acceptable state of affairs in new york in the subways yes and i i i agree with that and i think the common thread there is the idea of what can happen at any point in time right what can happen? I'm sitting here. Who's going to attack me? What kind of uh, mentally ill, psychotic person is going to confuse me for, uh, I don't know, the person who is responsible for the destruction of the earth in 10 days and four seconds? <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you know, the, these people. I remember when Michelle Goh was pushed tragically to her death in the subway by someone who was, um, mentally ill and very well known to be mentally ill and should have been institutionalized a long time ago. He was, he was screaming something like, I am God. I mean, I can't even imagine what in his head, Michelle Go represented. But what I can take from that is that everybody is afraid because you've got people who are attacking others randomly. And it's because of what's going on in their own heads, right? Or they're just angry and they know they can get away with it. Right. I think there's an element to that, too. There's no consequences 
for beating somebody up, right? So, you know, you've got two two sides of the token. Right? It, there was a reaction to this. Yeah. In the, you know, in the 80s, uh, Rudolph Giuliani was elected mayor. And yes. we had already moved out, but it was it was a really exciting moment because there was actually support for the idea that someone could take back the city, that the middle class, that working people, and not only working people, but professionals, people who like yourself, who who wanted to live in the city and who had a choice would once again have the opportunity to live in the city in the manner in which it was intended that's not happening now that i don't think anyone thinks that's even remotely possible giuliani at the time was a liberal republican mm -hmm. and of course to the extent that he was a republican at all it probably had as much to do with the fact that well i guess he had been appointed by a republican president to u.s attorney's job so he had had been a republican but there's what are the chances for republicans to have any impact politically in, in the 21st century right now, words, now moment. Are, you, are you you know you're you're not running for mayor and no. you don't have the, and you don't have the you don't have the um you know the, the profile that rudy giuliani did uh, you know, when he ran against David Dinkins after his disastrous one term. Oh, yeah. Um, I see but, what you're saying, though. Yeah, I mean, the time is now. We we need to take the city back. And there, I really hope there's enough popular support for taking it back as there was in the Giuliani era, because if we don't start showing up and voting for common sense people, um, the decay is going to persist. And but I think there's a I think a lot of people believe that that isn't possible now the way it was 25 years ago because the the the, the middle class base the uh does simply isn't there in the city anymore is that true i, I think it's complicated i i do think that the city has displaced the middle class to a large extent and that is certainly regrettable um, for those who are holding on. They're not happy. But I, I think even for those who may who may not fit that profile are upset with what they see. Um, you know, people are getting attacked and no, nobody likes that. They know the city's not safe and the Democrats are less and less successful lying about how safe the city is. Every, everybody knows at this point the city's not safe. And when you have, for instance, I'm running for city council against a guy who wants to uh, strip the rights of a landlord to conduct criminal background checks on potential tenants. Now, I don't care if you're your you know, regular liberal guy who's voted Democrat their entire life and would never consider voting otherwise. Did you ask for that? <laughs> Did you ask? to potentially live in the building with somebody who murdered somebody 20 years ago, or if you're Jewish, uh, somebody who beat up, um, you know, to near death, a uh, Jewish guy back in the day, but has done his time and now is, you know, 
in theory, paid his debts to society. No, I think if you're capable of that type of action, you're capable of that type of action. Again, call me cynical. And, um, you know, we, we, <laughs> we've reached the point where if, if you want the city to exist, if you want your apartment to be worth anything, if you want to walk the streets and potentially not get stabbed that day, you have to make a different decision at some point. At some point, you have to say enough is enough. I'm going to go with the guy who's a Republican, uh, hate Republicans, whatever. He is not crazy. <laughs> but what we're seeing right now is crazy. Um, you know, the Roosevelt Hotel, they're turning into a migrant um, intake center on the east side. Uh, we paid 200 and uh, almost 250 million, I think, uh, to the Pakistani government in order to purchase that property, which is another issue I, I don't even we don't have time to wrap our heads around right now uh, in order to, uh, you know, to house the migrants that are coming across the border and uh, give them food, give them medicine, send them to school, um, you know, and these are things that local politicians are authorizing. So I think if if the change can happen anywhere, it's on the local level. It's to say, all right, my city councilman's lost it right so maybe we'll try this other guy um but well, so we'll let's talk there. so you mentioned that you you agree with my with my proposition which is that the, the middle class has been really undermined in the city yes. would you not agree that to a large extent the reason for that is because of policies involving housing that were not necessarily the result of radical left politicians, but which have been part of you know the the the, the willingness to let developers run you know housing and construction and zoning policy in New York City for the last twenty years. I mean, De Blasio, there's I mean, look 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 at how overbuilt the West Side is and and these ridiculous space needles that they you know that they're putting you know which are empty yeah although people own the apartments they're empty because they're investment vehicles yes but it became it is just a known thing that there is no middle class it, the middle class simply can't live in, in 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 certainly in Manhattan and unless they're unless you're living in a rent controlled building in which case that's not a long that you know that's been a disastrous long-term uh, effect on things also if if you were elected to city council i i guess job one would be just stopping stopping the tidal wave of of, of insanity but is there a long-term vision that says what you know mike bloomberg is not really the model for a long-term sustainable rebuilding as much as his mayor you know he was mayor during this golden era i, I don't I, I can't deny that he was a good mayor he was out of touch in his third in his third term which every third term seems to have that quality it was the same yep. thing with ed koch um but is there a sort of more market oriented vision that you think is practical to implement in new york city for you know, managing the sociological issues. I, I, I do think, 
I mean, I'm a free market guy. And uh, how are you ever a Democrat? Because you because you were in New York. That's why. Say it again. I, then how are you ever a Democrat? Uh, well, I was an independent before I was a oh, Democrat. I see. OK. Oh, in other words, uh, you were a Democrat because you wanted to run for office. Yes. And there's only one party in New York, presumptively. Well, and I thought I could disrupt. I thought that I could maybe be a voice of reason. Um, and it, that's just not happening. But yeah, I've always been an independent and I voted Republican um, in the past. Uh, okay, so I interrupted you. I'm sorry. You were saying you're uh, in answer to my question. You're free, you're a free market guy. Yes, I'm a free market guy. I, I think developers do have um, influence that goes beyond what's reasonable, because what they're doing is they've got uh, uh, they profit off building these affordable housing units. Uh, and they pretty much control a lot of the politicians, the progressive politicians, and their uh, decisions on upzoning, on rezoning. Um, you know, so you've got you've got two crops of new developments, right? It's either affordable housing or it's these space needles, and uh, there is no in between anymore. And I've seen. When I when you look at the bills of um, you know what a lot of the city council members are pushing, including the you know Keith Powers who I'm running against, half of them are for rezoning, upzoning. So you know the real estate money is tied to it, and um, I, I do think that the influence of it needs to be curtailed in order to let a free market, more natural uh, developments reign free. Um, I do think if that happened, then you'll see more naturally affordable housing, not affordable like we're giving people apartments, but rents can come down because we're building, you know, normal buildings for normal people, uh, not necessarily, you know, not these luxury sky rises all over the place. Uh, I, I think we can level the playing field if we remove the influence of uh developers frankly developers and politicians are um hand in hand these days especially the progressive politicians and isn't so that's rather ironic right you would think that that would be a way for you to speak to uh, you know less insane progressives and say listen you know why are you letting billionaires uh you know why are you uh, voting for politicians who are controlled by billionaire developers that doesn't that doesn't resonate. Yeah, how progressive is that? <laughs> uh, it's no, it really sh it should resonate. Uh, they don't know, they don't know. I mean, part of the problem with New York City and how it's come to this is that ten um, percent, really less, five to ten percent of the population here in New York City is electing the leaders for the ninety percent of us who are not bothering to vote. A lot of that has to do with the primary system, right? Uh, the Democrats ultimately are going to win out in the general election because everybody just rubber stamps it and doesn't think about it. But what really matters here is the primary. And you have closed primaries and they happen with very little fanfare. The progressives have mobilized extremely successfully and they put up the most radical guy they can. They call themselves Democrats. They're socialists. And by the time the general comes around, nobody knows what happened. All you know, they just know they voted Democrat. And they're, they're just not paying attention, right? So they don't realize that 5%, 10% of their district, of 
their city is rule is making decisions for the rest of us. And that also needs to be conveyed uh, on top of the fact that, yes, it's not progressive for progressive politicians to be in bed with big real estate. I mean, there, there's a lot that just comes down to lack of knowledge. P people just don't know what's going on. And it's an uphill battle to teach them. So what are you doing? You know, what, how are you going to try to do that? Like you said, uh, you know, th there's a lack of education. People somehow aren't, they're not involved in the nitty gritty of the politics part. How are you going to get that message across? Yes, you say people know that it's unsafe, but do they know that there's a choice in the ballot booth? You're saying that they don't. They don't know. And, uh, you know, like I, like I said, it is difficult to convey that point. So I focus on things like public safety because that affects everybody and people know it's a huge problem and it's a huge problem for me. Um, you know, What's your I, district? Explain, describe your district. My district is City Council District 4. It's the east side of Manhattan. It starts at Stytown and then you go up, you have Midtown East, you've got Koreatown in there. You have uh, the Upper East Side to about the 90s, west of 3rd Avenue to the park. So this so is a fairly it, sophisticated uh, district in terms of education, income, uh, social class. Yep. It is an overwhelmingly white district. You say Koreatown, but most of the Koreans in Koreatown do not live in Koreatown. That is a commercial district. Yep. And we have Sutton Place. Sutton Place, yep. which is where historically where New York's politicians uh have have lived you should be able to get the message across to people with this kind of background yes they are they are they're responding to me they are it's going well um you know it's just about getting in front of people which we're working on i mean right now the primaries haven't even started yet i go i go straight to the general um they tried to kick me off they got one of biden's lawyers <laughs> to actually show up and boot me off the ballot but that didn't work so there will be a general election and um, yeah, insane. Um, what what you're saying is right, is that there are smart people in my district. And actually, it's, you know, many are saying uh, that it's the only winnable district for a Republican in Manhattan. And, uh, you know, the number the numbers are there. Uh, last time around, the Republican candidate who ran got 5000 votes and didn't even run a campaign from what I'm told, didn't have an email. And we have determined that we need, yeah, seriously, we need 8,000 votes to win. That's our threshold. That's so amazing. 5,000 is built in. Uh, you know, Keith Powers, the guy I'm running against, he's powerful in that he's the majority leader, but he's unpopular. And he doesn't have much of a base because he was a lobbyist before he was a politician. He, he doesn't have that uh, grassroots reach out. He just kind of slid into victory and never had any real opponent. So I am having those conversations with people. We're talking about how progressives are hypocritical. We're talking about how uh, their city councilman is pushing the most insane bills you could ever think of. I mean, the, these we're trying, Ron. We are trying. <laughs> now, is, are there lessons for you to learn from the success of Ina Vernikov? Or is her, her situation so unique because of the Russian factor and the Orthodox Jewish factor in Brooklyn? Yep. Or is, there, or is there something that you can learn from that? Well, there's a lot of Jews on the Upper East Side. And uh, as a Jew, uh, you know, they're more open to listening to what I have to say. 
Um, and I've, you know, I've been uh, actually just the other day I was over at Chabad and um, I went to a service there and uh, they let me speak afterward. And, uh, you know, Jews in particular uh, have been targets of uh, violent hate crimes, you know, more than anybody in this city, um, any type of person. And From white supremacists, that, though, right? That's what. Yeah, it's the white sure. supremacists. <laughs> the, uh, oh. the the it's the guys in the Trump hats that you never see in the city. They're you know they only come out at night when there's no cameras. <laughs> no, I mean we all know that it's other minorities that are punching Jews in the face and ripping off their yarmulkes and assaulting them. Frankly, and it's we have the stats to prove it, and we have uh, a DA who won't who won't give a guy who beat the hell out of a guy of, uh, I, you know who I'm talking about, the guy who was out there to support Israel. They 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 took crutches and they beat him in the face with him. Uh, they pepper sprayed him. They broke his jaw. He, he's a basketball player. His wrist is all screwed up now. Um, he was eligible for eight years in prison and Brad gave him a plea deal of six months. So the government's not working for our people right now in New York City, that's obvious. Otherwise, hate crimes against Jews, violent ones, wouldn't be up three, four hundred percent since 2019. But a lot of the people in your district are—they're not going on the subway, right? They're—they're not—you know—they—they—they tend to be well-off people. Who? I mean, isn't there this problem? I know this is a problem in San Francisco that the people who vote for the for progressive candidates that make streets unsafe are not personally. Uh, directly affected by the unsafeness of the streets. That's, I think that's less so in New York. I think it's less so because, I mean, if we're still talking about Jews, um, you know, the, if you're wearing a yarmulke, you're a target on the streets as much as you're a target down in the subway. Um, you know, we have the statistics will verify that. But uh, I mean, my experience in the New York area, area is that progressive Jews are not particularly sympathetic to Jews who wear yarmulkes. They're not. And that's unfortunate. And I, my message is one of unity because if they're going after, um, you know, I see it as one, it should be one big family. If they're going after our brothers and sisters in yarmulkes, they're going to come for you next. And they don't like you to begin with, because even if you, oh, there's a lot of liberal people, uh, liberal Jews who do support Israel and uh, this new regime of progressives are very anti-Israel, and they make it very difficult for even mainstream liberal Jews to voice any support for it. So there's a chasm there that I think will grow larger, and I think this is a critical point um, to tell regular liberal Jews, not the 10% progressive Marxist Jews that are, you know, like Jay Fredge, <laughs> uh, but, you know, the 90% that can be with us. Uh, it's a common sense message of, listen, this government's not for you. They're not the liberals they used to be. And they are not, not only are they not representing you, they don't like you, right? If you like Israel, even, you know, I'm not talking about having criticisms of Israel, like you can have criticisms of any government. I'm saying like, if you have your heart, if you're a Zionist or you, you love Israel or you support Israel and you're a liberal, which there's a lot of them, uh, they don't like you. And, you know, culturally, they're trying to destroy you, <laughs> um, you know, with a lot of what's happening in education, a lot of what's happening in, uh, you know, this Marxist pseudo intellectualism. Uh, 
it's not just the Orthodox Jews that are in trouble here. It's regular Jews, uh, that, that liberal non-Orthodox uh, Jews. And it's and it's non-Jews as, as well. I mean, you know, I always yeah. I, I'm yep. always amused with myself when I'm in a city around uh, Christmas time and I see all the Christmas trees uh, in the windows in the apartments. And I think, you know, you you might well think that this is a Jewish city. Guess what? It's an American city with yeah. Jews in it. Yep. You know, American Jews. Uh, it, it's a it's it's a it's a very, you know, and historically there have been tensions. I mean, my father told me growing up in the Lower East Side in the 30s. You know, Italian kids were coming down one side of the street and the Jewish kids coming down the other side of the street. The Jewish kids moved to the other side of the street. You know, they, they, they knew they, they knew what was good for them. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, I find it very intriguing that you, as an adopted New Yorker, because I understand, I always say, people who listen regularly will have heard me say this before, that loving New York is like is like loving an alcoholic family member. Yes, <laughs> you just you, you, they're they're a wreck and they're they're in constant decline, but you just you still love them, you know. And every time I'm in the city, as as wretched as it is, I my heart pang, my I still still feel that attachment, and it's just so tragic to see what what's going on. So I I can't, I can't tell you how much I personally. I can, but no one really wants to hear it. Appreciate the efforts that, that you're making, and I hope that you know. I hope that you, that you get people to listen. I'm trying, and I, I appreciate uh, you know your help with that. Uh, I, I think the, the stage I've set up for this race, uh, kind of building off the relationships that I've made off the last race, and um, you know, frankly, I, I do have the media's attention at this point. Um, and I'm going to parlay that into my message, just project it louder, which is common sense, public safety, and getting people to realize that their progressive, uh, councilmen or their progressive representatives are not actually representing them. And they're doing things, uh, really to the antithesis of their well-being. So, um, I appreciate it, Ron. I appreciate your support. I've always appreciated it. And well, I'm happy to, best. I'm happy to, to extend it. You know, we see what's happening in in Chicago, mm -hmm. which is you know really looks like a lost cause. Um, D.C., uh, the cities in, in the Pacific Northwest, it's phenomenal. Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, further down. I mean, cities. I, I understand better than I ever did the Jeffersonian discomfort with with cities and the people of cities, but they are pretty much you know the modern world you know we, you can't the world can't be sustained by by the suburbs which which is a different kind of to toxicity and rural life is extremely important and it's not and it, and it is looked at with contempt by many people and you grew up in a relatively rural part of new jersey I did. people don't yeah. appreciate that uh, the elizabeth um refineries are are not representative of the entire state of new jersey right but there's something about you know, New York, that is worth saving, in my opinion. I th thank you for your efforts in doing that. And hopefully we help you get the message out. Thanks, Ron. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yep. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. 
That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.